Hello, Todd. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Folks, today we are hacking into a little U.S. history. We're going to be looking at the Gilded Age. And uh, the Gilded Age was, was not a pretty time in American history at all. Although uh, the name of it makes it sound kind of pretty, doesn't it? Kind of does on the outside. So what does Gilded mean? Well, it has nothing to do with horses, if you're wondering. But uh, in, in American history, uh, Mark Twain and Charles Dudley Warner in 1873 wrote a novel that they uh, called The Gilded Age. And uh, The Gilded Age, of course, is bright and shiny on the outside, but underneath it is not so bright and shiny. It can be downright ugly. I think I dated a girl kind of like that in high school. <laughs> I might have dated more than one in high school that fit that description. <laughs> um, the Gilded Age uh, is is kind of like eating a burrito in a way. Um, it's it's hard to eat one compo one type of food at a time. You kind of have to, to to put it all in in the tortilla and wrap it up and just hope for the best and and take a look at it and and and, and get it in all at one time. Yeah, this is definitely no single item burrito. It has got a lot of elements to it. Uh, a lot of things that are very interconnected, intertwined, uh, related. So it's it's kind of hard to digest for a burrito. And we're going to do our very best to put a little hot sauce on it to make it as tasty as possible. So um, the Gilded Age, uh, depending on which historian you talk to, um, it's hard to, to nail down an exact date when it started, but in, in, in our context today, we're going to look at it from post-Civil War to the end of the 19th century. So we're looking at about oh, 1866 to 1870, all the way up to about 1898, which was when the Spanish-American War um, took place. and America became somewhat of an empire. So that kind of moves us more into the imperialistic world power era. But keep in mind there's still no east precise date on when it begins and ends. Uh, it's not like on April 14, 1898, Gilded Age stopped. But for Mark Twain and Charles Dudley Warner, they kind of established that name in their novel. And uh, that's something that's stuck till today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I guess we'll just talk a little bit about each each uh, major component of the Gilded Age, and I there's not really a perfect place to start. Um, so I'll jump in and let's talk about um, Todd. How does big business sound? Uh, it sounds like a good place to start. Big business comes with some big names. You got people like Rockefeller, Carnegie, Vanderbilt, J.P. Morgan. And these guys, uh, they they have different names too. You know, whether you want to think of them as an entrepreneur, somebody who had the initiative to go out and create these big businesses, or an industrialist, which we'll talk more about industrialization too. Um, but also also a philanthropist um, and a robber baron. So big business, the success of business, the industry that it created, all comes from the expense of something you know and for the robber baron we we have a definition there what does that mean right according to webster 
A robber baron is one of the American industrial or financial magnates of the latter 19th century who became wealthy by unethical means such as questionable stock market operations or exploitation of labor or political connections. Uh, I think we might have a robber baron in, in our midst even today. Would you say so, Todd? Uh, I think we've got a few very few influential ones as well. These guys really fit that mold uh, at that time. Uh, the philanthropy part, and no, philanthropy is not beating up a guy named Phil, but <laughs> philanthropy is also kind of doing something good with that too later on. But it did come at the expense of a lot of hard workers, uh, which we can get into that, which would probably lead us into other corruption, labor unions, child labor. Yeah, yeah, the list goes on and on. Um, it seemed like these guys just couldn't make enough millions uh, during their time period and, and they kind of lost sight of the common man, especially the immigrants that were just coming over uh, by the thousands every day and just kind of t uh, seemed to lose touch with reality. These, these men though were, they were movers and shakers. They were men who uh, took great inventions like the Bessemer process uh, that Henry Bessemer had created in turning iron ore into steel uh, through a process of heating and cooling, heating and cooling, and it were it was people like Andrew Carnegie that that uh, utilized that technique to uh, have the world's largest uh, steel industry of the time, and of course that would lead to. Um, the making of, of thousands and thousands of miles of railroads and and of course uh, people like Cornelius Vanderbilt um, would would take advantage of that and uh, would try to monopolize the railroad industry for a while. Yep, and we can't forget electricity during this time too because without that the factories can't operate 24 hours a day or at night, you know, just even at night. Uh, stronger steel meant stronger buildings. Stronger buildings meant you could build them taller. Uh, that helped accommodate the urbanization that occurred. People moving to the cities to work in factories could now live in buildings. Some of these buildings weren't always the best kind of buildings. Uh, tenement buildings. And we can get into more detail of that, but very crowded living. Not the best kind of lifestyle to have by any means, but these people are you know, looking for a way to survive. Yeah. So, and speaking of that, Todd, um, these factories needed bodies to work in them, and uh, these immigrants that were coming over from Europe, so many of them were coming over from places like uh, Russia and um, Italy and Eastern Europe, um, they were looking for a better way of life, and uh, much like many of the immigrants that come to America today, and once they got over here, um, they had to go through Ellis Island on the East Coast or Angel Island on the West Coast, but they they provided a uh, a source of labor that was critical uh, for these industrialists to to be successful. And they are really going to endure a tremendous amount of hardship once they come over here. So we'll we'll definitely be getting into that more as well. As you're listening, it probably sounds a little familiar to things going on today. Immigration, uh, big business, strong, powerful players. You know, these things don't go away. They're still a part of our you know, modern economy and, and modern life here in this country. 
but one thing that was very definite in that time period was something called laissez-faire. What was that? Yeah, laissez-faire is a French term that it basically means government hands off, leave it alone. And uh, uh, during this time period in the, uh, the late 19th century, we had a very small federal government, um, very, very small uh, compared to, to what we have today. And, uh, of course, as time goes on, uh, there's going to be a big need to increase the size of the federal government to help kind of uh, provide an effort to right a lot of these wrongs that were taking place as, as laws would be passed um, during this time period and, and then also just shortly after in what we call the progressive period. But, um, you know, Todd, it, it, was, um, uh, it, it was a tough time. For a lot of these people, and um, the the big businesses, they they took full advantage of this laissez-faire um, style of of, of uh, government and and how it had an impact on the economy. Mm-hmm. So they sure did. And you can look, you know, if you get online, you Google images of Gilded Age child labor. You can see children working in factories. Uh, there were no protections. There were no child labor laws. There was no 40-hour work week. Um, you know, these kids were young, working six days a week, 10, 12 hours a day. Um, even for the adults, you know, if you got injured, there's no workers' comp. Uh, you get hurt, you can't do your job, you're fired, and there's no compensation for it because there's other people, immigrants and non-immigrants, who are willing to step into that place and, and collect that, you know, money for working that job. It was a very harsh lifestyle that's very foreign to what uh, the things we have today but the things we have today are based on you know those kind of changes that are going to come from the progressives later due to what was going on in the Gilded Age at this time yeah so um, so Todd um, you know some of the things that happened as a result of these abuses um, were labor unions and uh, we still have labor unions around today um, and and they're they can be very powerful in uh, creating legislation and and having an impact on on people's uh, wages and and benefits and so forth but they were just beginning uh, during this era and maybe we should qualify a little bit what a labor union was too at that time Uh, you know employment conditions not being great uh, employees organizing together trying to collectively bargain as a group uh, with their employer to try to get a better working condition or working wage uh, and as we get into this we'll talk more about things like the Pullman strike uh, and some of our later ones uh, where you see harsh reaction to these kind of formations and uh, and government wasn't helping you know government was very much into the you know hands-off and if if you're a union or forming as a union, you're you're evil. You know they were not seen as a good thing during this time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, one other big aspect of the Gilded Age was expansion to the West, and uh, you know the development of the transcontinental railroad shortly after the Civil War was over with, and and where the Union Pacific and the Central Pacific would meet at Promontory Point in Utah and the development of that first one and then of course there were several more that came after that but railroad expansion is huge during this era 
and it was such a critical piece of a growing economy in a growing nation and I think it's that during this period that we start to look at America the United States as the infant steps of becoming a superpower now we they'll, they'll take a more prominent part of the of that stage uh, after World War one and definitely after World War two but we are we are during the Gilded Age becoming a superpower just because of the vast amount of natural resources and um, due to a lot of this west westward expansion and then of course the unlimited amount of labor resources that were that were just coming into the country every day yeah so with that we have you know Irish immigrants building tracks going west Chinese immigrants building tracks going east from California going east or what will become California um, but you also have something else occurring in the middle and that's a native population that's being encroached upon uh, and you know as that's occurring we are also going to make moves for assimilation assimilation bringing those uh, tribal people in quote-unquote civilizing them uh, thinking that we're doing a great thing here but it got to be a very detrimental thing to their culture and their lifestyle uh, how we tried to uh, change that during this time in the Gilded Age. Yeah, um, you have some some of the famous uh, Native American chiefs at the time were Sitting Bull of the of the Lakota Sioux. Um, you had, um, of course, the Comanche Nation uh, down south, uh, and of course, Quanah Parker will play a big part uh, in that. And uh, Oklahoma will become the place where most of these Native Americans that survive will, will be placed on reservations and then the federal government um, had the chore of okay what do we do with them now and they tried to quote unquote Americanize them which is kind of a um, an oxymoron because you're you're Americanizing the Native Americans which to me just doesn't make a bit of sense but um, anyway it, it was an effort to turn them into farmers and ranchers and uh, tried to get them into homes and behind um, a mule pulling the plow and which is of course just a huge shock to their culture and was so completely different from the way they lived for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, the Dawes Act is probably an excellent example of that uh, to give 160 acres uh, to a head of household and you know for Native American population they don't even recognize the ability to own land. Uh, but it also creates a backdoor opportunity because once you divide up what would, what was the reservation land uh, that were given to the Indians, given being a sneaky word, um, now is something we want back. So, as a country, the Dawes Act becomes a backdoor to allow, okay, divide it up, give it to them, Americanize them, but that creates leftover land. Now, what can we do with this leftover land? now we can get people homesteading that so it's an opportunity now for you know anglo populations moving west to gain more land as well yeah so we're just uh, we're just taking a look at the gilded age here from a whole bunch of different uh, angles and, and looking at some major topics that we will get into more detail later on we just wanted to give you uh, just a taste of it and um, hope this uh, this burrito that we have called the Gilded Age 
will be entice your taste buds to want to to look into it and to eat more of it a little bit later on so Todd have you got anything else you think no I think uh, that's pretty good I would probably like to put one disclaimer my wife used to teach French and I know I did not pronounce laissez-faire correctly so honey I apologize <laughs> thanks for listening <laughs>